Good morning, church family, and welcome to another service where we get to praise God and we get to listen to the preached word from the Lord. I just want to thank Aisha Hodo who brought the word last Sunday, and she did a phenomenal job with that. Last Sunday was our Mother's Day Sunday, and she brought the word, and she was a great speaker. And it's always good to use people that are in the congregation that have a word from the Lord. Nonetheless, this Sunday, I am coming from Judges chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. Get your Bibles ready. Get them out because we're going to read the word. Judges chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. I know I came from Judges last time. Last time we talked about Samson. This time we're talking about Deborah. Oh yes, I'm talking about the prophetess Deborah. Since we're in our Women's Month, we will be highlighting different women of the Bible. Amen? Amen. Here we go. Starting with chapter 4 and beginning at verse 4. It says, At that time, Deborah, a prophetess, wife of Libadah, was judging Israel. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Raham and Bethel, and in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, son of Abinadam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take position out Mount Tabor. Bring 10,000 from the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Zebulun. I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the Wadi Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera, who is the commander of the Canaanite army, into the hand of a woman. Somebody say woman. Then Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak summoned Zebulon and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 warriors went up behind him, and Deborah went up with him. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of this word. Brothers and sisters, I want to focus on this Sunday morning the fact that God loves to use people that society and culture have deemed useless to be essential workers for his glory and his grace. You see, it's Women's Month this month, so this sermon will highlight women of the Bible and display how God sets up women to do what was traditionally a man's job. You see, Judges 4 illuminates why we can't limit God's ability to use anyone from any background, regardless of race, gender, or education. You see, God loves using a nobody to tell everybody that he's somebody. You see, God will use an old person, a young person, men, women, girls, and boys, the uneducated, the educated, the dropout, with no credentials, the lazy, the crazy, the deranged, the traumatized, the drug dealer, the murderer, the thief, the homeless, the drunk, and on drugs, even the prostitute and the stripper and baby mamas, God will use 
anybody to tell everybody that he's somebody. You see, God loves using people that society and culture have written off as useless to be essential workers of his glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 29 says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. That means be careful who you write off. That goes for family members. Be careful who you write off. That goes for co-workers. Be careful who you write off. That goes for people at church. Oftentimes, the people we write off only need encouragement, only need a little love, only need resources and the opportunity to succeed. You see, last week, I was up at the church, and I noticed I saw Deacon Autry and Brother Purefoy over on the side of the rock house, and they were working diligently. You see, they've just turned in their TMP, brothers and sisters. For those of you all that don't know, we have these uh, little write-ups you have to do for the ministries that you intend to propose. They've turned in their TMP to establish a community garden here at the church. So, yes, we have our scholarship. Yes, we have our food pantry. And now we are bringing back a community garden, which we had previously. So, brothers and sisters, they're over there and they're working hard. And I went over to them to see what they were doing because they were working like busy little bees and they, 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 they had something that they used to till the soil with. They had something to dig holes with. They even had the plants and vegetables all lined up and they were ready to start up this community garden. And brothers and sisters, I, I, I began to watch them and I noticed before they just started planting things, you see, if it had been left up to me, I wouldn't have known anything about preparation for gardens. I would have just started planting the seeds and planting the plants. First, what they did was clear the land of debris. You see, in that area beside the rock house, which is next to our church, there was a lot of glass and there was a lot of trash over there. So they cleared the land of debris. Then once they cleared it of debris, they took the tiller and began to till the soil. And then after they tilled the soil and created rows in which they would plant the flowers, they went in and dug holes along the rows that they had tilled. And then they began to sprinkle fertilizer in the holes. And after that, they finally added the plants. Deacon Autry told me, he said, you see over here on this side of the rock house, it's not filled with a bunch of Georgia red clay. It's, it, it's, it's filled with something called black soil. He said, this, this, this black soil is some of the best soil to plant and see grow. Now, I was glad that he knew more about that than I did. But as he talked and, and told me these things, he, he planted the plants that had gone through, or this land that had gone through this process of tilling and gone through this process of having the fertilizer. And brothers and sisters, I realized something. That just like the plants needed the preparation of the soil in order to grow, we as people need to be prepared or need to be cognizant of our surroundings which either aids us in our growth or apprehends 
our growth. Sometimes what stops us from having peace of mind and the relationship with God we need is the quality of soil we're planted in. Come on, somebody. If you're not growing spiritually and mentally, what you need to do is check your environment. You see, first you have to clear your environment of the debris. That's the negativity that's draining your life. Then you have to till the soil, which means uproot things and people and situations that are holding you back. And then you have to create lines. That's what the tiller does. And the tiller does is it, it creates boundaries in the soil. And sometimes we need to create boundaries to create and have better quality of life. And then after that, we go in and plant holes, which we add fertilizer to. And the fertilizer in our life are good good friends and resources that encourage us and help us grow. And then finally, the soil. We must check the soil to see if the soil is of good quality. The soil in our life is sometimes our job, sometimes where we reside, such as our homes, sometimes our marriages, sometimes it's our friendships and relationships, and sometimes it's the soil of our mind. And all of this plays a part in how conducive the environment of our lives, especially our spiritual life, is able to grow. You see, God loves using people that society and culture have deemed worthless to be essential workers of his glory and his grace because God knows all you need is a little encouragement. All you need is a little love. All you need is a few resources. All you need is a change of the soil and attention given to your environment for you to flourish. You see, this Sunday, I'm specifically focusing on how we are set up to be successful. You can remember Jesus and how he had the parable of the sower and how the parable of the sower was the guy that would walk around with seeds and he would throw the seeds and some seeds fell along the path, some seeds fell along the stones, some seeds fell along the tares and the thorns and the, and, and, and the weeds. And it was interesting with this parable with the sower, the seeds that fell along the path, the, the birds came and they ate it up. The seeds that, 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 that fell along the stones, they, they didn't have the soil they needed to grow. So when they grew up, they couldn't take root and, and the sun scorched them. Then the seeds that fell along the, the, the weeds and the thorns, as they grew up, they were choked out. But the seeds that fell upon good soil took root and grew. And brothers and sisters, what that shows us is that our environment has a precedence in how well we're able to succeed. Sometimes it's not how bad that little girl is. Sometimes it's not how bad that child is. Sometimes it's not even the conditions in which you see as far as somebody's attitude, as far as somebody's way of living or the way they conduct themselves that's bad. It's just the environment in which they're in. And brothers and sisters, many of us have been marginalized for the lack or because of the lack of opportunity, because of the lack of resources, and we've not been able to flourish and grow. And one group of people that I've seen that happen to the most outside of African American people are our black women and minority women and women in general. Brothers and sisters, this Sunday I am specifically focusing on a gender that the Bible has marginalized, but God has prioritized. Let me say that one more time. I don't want you to miss it. I said I'm specifically focusing on a gender that the Bible itself 
has marginalized, but God has prioritized. You see, the Bible traditionally depicts a negative connotation of women. It typically portrays women as the property of men, as conduits for childbirth, as distractions from righteousness, and only valued for beauty, virginity, pleasure, and reproduction. Women historically have been disenfranchised from, for being, or from being confined to domestic roles, not having the right to vote, not receiving equal pay or equal opportunity as men, body shaming, and having to work twice as hard for opportunities and position men are expected to occupy. You see, even in the church to this day, women are not given the same opportunities to preach, to lead, as men are. It's because of patriarchy and the misinterpretation of scripture. But you see, during this Women's Month, let the record show that Judges chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, as a matter of fact, all of chapter 4 and all of chapter 5 shows us how God loves using people that society and culture have deemed worthless to be essential workers of his glory. You see, Judges chapter 4, verse 9 says, Deborah said, Deborah's a woman, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. Deborah's talking to Barack right here. That's not Barack Obama. That's Barack in the Bible. For the glory of God will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh. To give you a little insight and to give you a little background into what's going on here in the text, I got to recap just in case you weren't with us when I did the sermon on Judges 16 talking about uh, Samson, the book of Judges is a book about cycles. You see, we see that this in Judges 4 is the fourth cycle. What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about the cycles in which Israel, these are the Israelites, these are God's chosen people. These are the ones that were enslaved in Egypt. Remember, I always tell this. Enslaved in Egypt, they move through the they move through the wilderness, get to the promised land. Then once they get to the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, they forget all that the Lord did, had done for them and freeing them from bondage under the Egyptians, bringing them through the wilderness and delivering them into the promised land. They forget all of that and they start worshiping the gods of the people in the promised land. These are the gods of the Canaanites. These are the gods of the Philistines. These are the gods of people that do not believe in God and they start falling victim to worshiping other gods that have done nothing for them. Brothers and sisters, they fall in this cycle. And every time they start worshiping these gods, their God, which is Yahweh, which is our Lord and Savior, punishes them. And then when they are punished, and typically their punishment is them falling under the oppressive rule of the pagans, who are the Canaanites and Philistines that occupy that land, they fall under their rule. God then delivers them through raising up a judge. And this is the fourth cycle of them being unfaithful, them crying out for forgiveness, and then God raising up a judge and saving them. So now they are on their fourth cycle where a female judge is raised up to govern Israel. And when we think of judges, 
What a judge is is something like a chieftain. They didn't have kings back then. So what the judge is is basically the mouthpiece of God, is basically someone that speaks on behalf of God to the Israelites. So the judge is someone that helps them understand and work through their disputes if they have any type of issues with one another as far as their fellow brother or fellow sister. Remember the Israelites, it's over a hundred thousand of them that have moved through the wilderness into the promised land and they have to have someone from each tribe govern them in the sense of helping them work through their disputes. So here we are in Judges 4. And God uses a woman to break the cycle to free them from the persecution of the Canaanites. Now, this can be a rather complex text here, so we're going to break it down as simple as possible. I'm going to give you the Charles Hamilton version of the text. Here we go. We got four main characters. Write this down. Keep this in the forefront of your mind. Our four main characters are Deborah, Barak, Jael, and Sisera. First, Deborah is the judge. She is the judge over all of Israel. Then Barak is the commander of the armies of Israel. Sisera is the commander of the Canaanite army under King Jobin, the king of the Canaanites. And remember, the Canaanites are the enemies of God. And then Sisera, remember, I mean, then Jael, remember this, she's just a housewife. I want you to keep her in mind. So watch this. We have Deborah the judge, Barak, the commander, Jael, the housewife, and Sisera, the commander of the Canaanite army. And what's happening here in the text is Deborah has gotten word from the Lord that it's time to break this cycle. God tells her, he says, go get Barak. Tell Barak to get 10,000 soldiers from the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Zebulon they're going to go down and they're going to fight Sisera, the commander of the Canaanite army. And then they will win and you all will be delivered. Deborah says, all right, I got you, God. So then Deborah goes, she summons Barak. Barak comes to her and Deborah says, all right, Barak, I need you to get your soldiers out and I need you to meet Sisera down by the water bank. And when you go down there, I need you to defeat him so that we can overthrow the Canaanite army. Barak says, okay, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not going to go down there unless you go with me. Deborah says, all right, I'm not going to argue with you. I will go with you. However, because you've chosen this route, because you said this, the victory will not be yours, but the commander of the Canaanite army will be delivered into the hands of a woman. She's basically saying, since you can't get it done by yourself as a man, God's going to ordain a woman to get it done. Now, when she said that, I thought she was talking about herself. But wait on, hold up. JL's part is coming up. So watch this. So Deborah and Barak, they go down and fight Sisera by the banks of the river, right? They go down and they fight and they're fighting vigorously and they kill most of the armies of the Canaanite army. And Sisera's so afraid that he leaves the battlefield, leaves his soldier, doesn't run to the hospital, doesn't run back to the palace, doesn't even run to go get some food. He runs to the tent of Jael, the housewife, and Jael welcomes him in. When J.L. welcomes him in, we're now here at verse 19 in chapter 4. J.L. welcomes him in, and he asks her for a drink of water. And she says, oh, I got you. I'll give you a drink of water. And she takes a rug and covers him to conceal his identity. And he tells her, I'm going to go down in the back and take a nap to hide 
but you stay in the front of the tent. And if anybody comes asking for me, don't tell them that I'm here. Conceal my identity. J.L. says, okay. Brothers and sisters, J.L. waits until Sisera falls asleep. She goes and gets a tick pig. That's one of the stakes that you hold the stake that you hold a tent down with. She takes the tick pig, goes into the room with Sisera and kills the commander of the Canaanite army. The text is rather gruesome in how it describes this. It actually says that she takes the tent peg, puts it to his temple, and hammers the tent peg into his temple until it goes through and is impacted on the ground. Brothers and sisters, she's not only a stone-cold killer, she's a gruesome killer. And then by that time, Barak shows up. Barak shows up at the tent asking J.L., where is Sisera, the commander of the Canaanite army? We heard he was here. J.L. comes to the door and says, oh, I know where he is, leads Barak back into the room and shows her and shows Barak that she's the one that's killed him. Brothers and sisters, J.L. was a nobody. J.L. didn't have any military training. J.L. wasn't this big leader or wasn't this spiritual uh, type of advisor. J.L. wasn't even a princess or queen herself. J.L. was a nobody who wanted or who God used to show everybody that he's somebody. Brothers and sisters, J.L. is the reason that the Israelites were freed from the bondage of the Canaanites. If it hadn't been for J.L. killing Sisera, Sisera would have gotten away. And brothers and sisters, we see that the fulfillment of the prophecy of Deborah has come through true where God has delivered the commander of the Canaanite army into the hands of a woman. Brothers and sisters, defeating the Canaanite army was Barak's mission. But this was completed by a woman. You see, this was traditionally a man's job, but God called a woman to complete it. This is the only scripture in the Bible where women are victorious for having the same skills as men. Hold on. We see women being authoritative in Deborah. We see women being warriors in J.L. We see women who have, who have become victor victorious not because of their beauty, not because of their childbearing ability, and not because of being virgins. We see women who have won and become victorious because they have followed what God has told them to do. Brothers and sisters, Israel and the Israelites are saved by the authority of Deborah, the judge, and Jael, the housewife. Let the record show that it is biblical for women to speak for God and act on behalf of God and occupy roles of leadership traditionally reserved for men. Let me say that one more time for all of the people that don't feel like uh, women should be pastors or women should be speaking from the pulpit. Let me tell you one more time. The Bible shows us in Judges chapter 4 and also in Judges chapter 5 that the record shows that women can speak on behalf of God, act on behalf of God, and occupy roles of leadership traditionally reserved for men. You see, I just came to tell everybody that God will use anybody to show the world that he's somebody. You see, God loves using people that society that culture 
and that even the Bible, even religion, even the church, even denominations have deemed unworthy. God loves using those people. He loves using those people to be essential workers of his glory and of his grace. You see, most of us, all we need is the right opportunity, balanced with a little opposition to succeed. You see, the right opportunity is a set of circumstances that makes it possible for success. And all opposition is is a little resistance that creates friction. You see, what's interesting about these two concepts is that an abundance of opportunity without opposition creates weakness and causes you to take situations for granted. Come on, somebody. But an abundance of opposition without opportunity leads to discouragement and also failure. So that means a balance of opposition and the balance of opportunity can fuel the fire to success. That means the fertilizer of opposition can elevate us into our purpose. This reminds me of a Ugandan soccer player who came from the slums of Uganda. And in these slums, there were a lot of children that were victims of homelessness. And, and oftentimes they would run the streets and because they had nowhere to live and had nowhere to stay. They didn't have food, so they would oftentimes steal food. They would sell drugs and they would steal things. And, and this Ugandan soccer player didn't want to live like that. He didn't want to succumb to that reality because these children people had written off. These children people had deemed as being worthless or deemed as being nobodies, that they would never amount to anything. He didn't want to be that, so he started practicing soccer. He practiced soccer before soccer practice, and he would practice soccer after soccer practice. He, he had developed this mindset that if I can, can, can become the best soccer player there is or, or that has ever been known, I can get out of this hell that I'm living in, and I can see the world, and I can move beyond this community if I just learn to play soccer well. I can get picked up by the National Soccer League, and brothers and sisters, he kept playing. And when it came to the time when the scouts started showing up, he was excited because he had developed a reputation for being the best soccer player in that community. He had prospects. He had people coming to see him. And it became known that he was the one that was going to make it out of the community. But brothers and sisters, there was a soccer game. And in this soccer game, he had done a phenomenal job. Everything was going well. As, and as I'm sure you can tell by the tone of my voice, as it drew to the end of the soccer game, something tragic happened. He's playing and he's kicking the ball and another defender comes up behind him and does a kind of slide tackle move to get the ball from him and winds up causing him to fracture his heel. This fracture would leave him incapacitated for the length of time needed for him to be picked up in the draft to play professional soccer. So brothers and sisters, in that very moment, all of his hopes and dreams went down the drain. In that very moment, everything that he thought he would have to free him from being a nobody, to free him from the slums, to free him from this hell on earth he was experiencing, went down the drain in that one soccer game. And he had the mindset that maybe he should 
try to get revenge on that person. He said in the Ugandan culture, that would have been customary. That would have been understood for someone to evoke revenge upon someone that had taken such a big opportunity from him. But he had a praying mother. And his mother told him to forgive. His mother told him to use that energy and that frustration to redirect it into something else. So brothers and sisters, this Ugandan soccer player, he said to himself, well, maybe instead of focusing on how to get out and how to leave this situation, what if I started focusing on how to change what's happening within this community? So he remembered all of the people that thought a lot of him. He remembered all the people that had watched him and followed him at his game, in his games as he played soccer. So he, as he began to recover, he started practicing by himself. And then he started inviting other people to practice with him. And before you know it, he started his own little soccer team. He started one soccer team, and one soccer team led to two soccer teams. Two soccer teams led to three soccer teams. And then he started having little soccer teams play against each other. And what that did was provide hope for that community. So now all the children that were on the streets that had nothing to do but sell drugs, but steal things, and, and, and were homeless and filled with despair that they thought, that people thought were nobody and would never amount to anything, now they had something to look forward to. And this one man who lost his opportunity opened the door for so many opportunities just by looking at how he could change the debris, change the soil, start tilling the environment in which he was in. Brothers and sisters, isn't it amazing that this brother, instead of looking at how to escape, he looked at or switched his mindset around to how he could change his situation. He realized there were people in his community that could play football or soccer just as good as he could, but all they needed was a little love. All they needed was a little encouragement. All they needed was the opportunity to be set up for success. And brothers and sisters, just like we saw in the text, God sets us up for opportunities for success. All we have to do is be prepared when God sets up these scenarios. Sometimes the scenarios aren't in the best of situations. Sometimes they don't come all pretty packaged perfect with a bow on it. But brothers and sisters, God sets us up in the midst of adversity so that we can be a beacon of light and a symbol of hope to those that are in the darkness. Brothers and sisters, we have to be the light in the darkness that the darkness shall not overcome. You see, God uses the opposition of the Canaanites and the opportunity he gave both Deborah and Jael to be successful in delivering the Israelites from oppression. You see, the book of Judges is about the cycles of sin and salvation and how God uses people, ordinary people, that society and culture have deemed worthless to be essential workers of breaking cycles. You see, isn't it good to serve a God that breaks us from the cycles of stigma and stereotypes? Isn't it good to serve a God that breaks us from the cycles of traditions that stop us from moving forward? Isn't it good that we serve a God that breaks us from the cycles of generational curses? Brothers and sisters, I speak over your life that God raises you up so that you can be somebody that breaks a cycle in your community raises you up so that you can end all of the negativity in your family and in your household. Sometimes 
The reason you're experiencing the pain that you're experiencing, experiencing the chaos that you're going through isn't only for you, but so that you can find a way to get out of it to help some people come along with you. Some of you all that have been experiencing the same pain and trauma for years, 20 and 30 years, and sometimes even longer than that, have been wondering, why am I in this same cycle? And I submit to you that just like the Israelites, God is waiting on you to be a judge he can raise up to end that cycle. It doesn't matter if you're a, a woman. It doesn't matter if you're young. It doesn't matter if you're old. God can still use you to break the cycle just like he did Deborah. God can still use you to break the cycle just like he did JL. All you have to do is be willing to be used. So therefore, when God clears the debris of negativity that's draining your life, when God tills the soil and uproots things, uproots people in your life that hold you back and creates lines and barriers, so that you can have a better quality of life. When God starts sprinkling the fertilizer of resources and friends and people to encourage you, to help you go, then plants you in the soil of opportunity. The final question is, will you do what you need to do to grow and to be used to break the cycle? Right now, I want to Extend an invitation to any one of you all that want to break cycles in your personal life. Extend an invitation to any one of you all that are tired of going through your own cycles. And you want to know more about this Savior. You want to know more about this God that can help you break cycles and that has been breaking cycles for thousands of years. I submit to you that all you need to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Now, as I like to say, the easy part is confessing with your mouth. You got a lot of people that say anything. But the hard part is believing in your heart. Because while the mouth can speak, the text tells us that out of the mouth, the heart speaks. So you first have to get your heart right. You first have to believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord so that the words that follow are truthful and are not null and void. Brothers and sisters, the Bible tells us that I am the vine talking about Jesus, and those that are connected to me will bear much fruit, but those that aren't connected to me will bear no fruit at all. And if you want to bear fruit, take this time and moment to examine your relationship with God. We would love for you to join our church family here at New Morning Light Baptist Church, and we would love for you to become a part of this ministry in which we can help you along that journey. All that we ask you to do is take your commitment and relationship with God serious. Because God has been serious about you from the beginning. God doesn't discriminate about gender, about class, about whether you're tall or short, large or small, or wherever you're from. You're the child of God. And God wants you to be equally invested in him as he is invested in you. May God bless you and may God keep you. And remember, here at New Morning Light Baptist Church, what we say to keep us encouraged is the joy I had. The world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it away. We are thankful here for what God has done, what God is doing, 
and what God will do. Continue to be the light in the darkness that the darkness shall not overcome. God bless you and amen.